I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Board. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket podcast. Apple has released a new update to iOS 13, dubbed iOS 13.3, catchy we know, and with it we've introduced a number of bug fixes and new features, specifically around screen time. Pocket Associate Editor Dan Grabham joins me to discuss what the new offering brings. Meanwhile, I caught up with Gilead Tiffenbrunn, the MD of renowned speaker brand Lynn, to talk all things music, and our habits and tastes have changed over the years from an analogue music experience to a very much digital one. And Pocket Reviews Editor Mike Lowe is here to tell us all about the new Samsung Galaxy A90, the company's latest phone that hopes to make 5G accessible to a wider audience without forcing the highest purchase price or monthly subscription via a carrier that you normally expect with a 5G phone. But first to you, Dan, tell us more about iOS 13.3. Well, it's a bunch of um, updates, basically, that uh, don't bring huge numbers of new features to the iPhone and mm. iPad, but they um, it's mostly sort of fixes for things like uh, a mail where you had problems downloading new messages and that kind of thing. Um, but one of the most interesting things is in, in the screen time feature that um, enables you to set limits, um, usage limits for things. Right. Um, and uh, within this version, you can get communication limits, which is basically a new option um, that will be mostly used by parents to control uh, who their kids can contact at particular times. Now, I'm a big fan of screen time. I've got a couple of kids and I use it to inflict my pain of them not allowing to use their phones at a certain time and stuff. It feels that screen time is, is becoming more and more advanced as we go on. Do you use it much? Do you think it's a good thing that people should be getting into? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Um, the, the, I mean, the most interesting thing that I've used is that my kids are, are quite young, so I haven't needed to restrict them yet. Um, but uh, the most interesting thing from, from my personal point of view is the is seeing how much I'm using the phone and getting the alerts every week to tell me that my screen time is, in, is decreased or increased, usually increased um, over the last week. Um, you can definitely tell the weeks when I've been off work and not off work and, and at work. Um but I mean, this is quite an interesting, interesting new area for the for it because you can basically, uh, if if during downtime, so that's you know usually the night, um, you can you know limit who your who the, who somebody can call, um, so you can have it to your uh, just your you know your favourite contact, so they could still contact family, um, but they wouldn't be able to phone certain people, obviously. Uh, you know, the days of... of, of no late of, night phoning the boyfriends. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Having a phone under the under the covers is long gone. So, um, it, yeah, it, 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 it's to, it designed to, to, to do that, basically restrict that. And you can also obviously restrict messaging and that kind of thing as well, and FaceTime calls additionally. Um, obviously, there's other ways in which people can contact each other. So uh, I, I guess the, 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 there's the whole question of, yeah, it's great that you could restrict the phone calls and messages, but, you know, obviously people could still message you on Skype or, or WhatsApp or whatever. So it's it, that's a sort of that's sort of the missing piece here, I guess. 
Yeah, I also find it quite useful because I know you can, within it, you can obviously restrict the, how much time you spend on specific apps. And it's very easy, certainly with some social networks, just to get lost down a rabbit hole and not realize you've spent an hour across the day or whatever. And so you can say, right, well, I'm just going to set this for, you know, I don't want to, I want to be aware of the fact that I'm spending over an hour or 45 minutes or, you know, three hours or whatever it is on, on this app, playing this game or watching this or surfing that, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's, it's quite clever, but this does strike me the whole, th- when we're up to 13.3, we're only in December. This, this 30, iOS 13 came out in, in September. Is, is there a problem? Is they, they seem to be rolling out a lot of bug fixes. I, I think there is a problem in uh, yes because I mean we've seen that with um, Catalina with Mac OS as well that actually you know it hasn't been the most reliable year for Apple software let's put it like that um, uh, you know there's a lot of things in this in in the, in in the iOS thirteen point three list that are fixing issues you know I mentioned the mail one. Um, there was something where you can't share a voice memo to another app and, and it, it, it feels like quite basic stuff. Um, you know, mm. it, 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 it's, it's not what Apple is, is well known for. It's well known for sort of the reliability of devices. But I mean, there's still, there's still issues in, in Catalina, for example, where files just disappear in the finder. Um, and it's things like that, that that haven't been fixed. And um, and, and obviously on iPhone, that this is what, why this update's happening. But it does, does definitely feel like the cadence of updates is increased this time. And, and do you think that's because they kind of, they've set themselves out that, that you know, WWDC every year they have to release a new operating system you know a fully fledged you know we'll, we'll expect I know it's not till June next year but we'll fully expect them to launch iOS 14 do you think that the pressure is is too great and that, that there's too many variants now because you've got iOS 13 you've got iOS iPad 13 you've got you know Apple TV is now kind of a platform on itself you've got Catalina you've got you know watch you've got all these different things and maybe they just haven't put enough resources yeah I guess that's like you know that is that that's an obvious thing to, to say but has to be true in some to some degree I mean there's some things here that like the communication limits and screen time that were probably going to be in the original release but were pushed back I think it's interesting to see the approach of some other um, you know big software companies like Microsoft or Windows 10. Um, where yes, Windows 10 has, has sort of lapsed into a twice yearly update effectively, but they ha- they aren't sort of pushing it as a new version of Windows every time. And I think that right. Apple do have a, a, a an issue really in the the kind of have to be out. You know, the new versions have to be out for the for the September deadline, um, and and you know that ha- that has to be an issue. I think. You know whether it will become um, more more or less of an issue going forward. I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll just see, uh, you know, several big updates a year um, that you know could be at different times. That that would be sort of, I think, the best thing really. More of a kind of a flow of of software in the same way that you perhaps probably don't even realise that there are many apps in the app store are just constantly being updated, you know, almost, I mean, some of the apps I have always seem to be updated every week, you know, but it's just tinkers and tweaks and, and all the other stuff rather than a, look, we've gone for a huge new number with loads of new things. Yeah. It's just sort of, it, it just is that it is. Yeah. And there's always that thing about, you know, making software updates obvious to people um, as opposed to doing stuff in the background. So obviously all those apps are updating the background, but there used to be a, a thing with antivirus software where, if it was too in your face, they would get criticized because it was too in your face. If it just was in the mm. background, uh, updating and running, 
um, people would say, well, it's not doing anything. Um, and there's, there's that, <laughs> there's that side of it as well that, that you know, we have to be told that, that, that they're still updating our phones. And obviously as Android keeps updating every year, um, obviously Apple are going to want to update iOS every year because of, because of that sort of competition, you know, there's always the, the, the there's always that sort of marketing thing that someone will say, well, they haven't updated the software this year, but actually they have. But, you know, it's that, that, that sort of thing as well. Still to come, Mike gives us his opinion on the new Samsung Galaxy A90. It's a really decent handset. It, it encapsulates everything you're really going to need without it costing quite as much. Gilead Tiffenbrun has been running UK speaker and turntable company Lynn for the past 10 years, taking over from his father who founded the company in 1973. In that time, the industry has drastically changed. It's shifted away from speakers merely offering the chance for you to listen to your records and CDs to devices that connect to the internet and can stream millions of tracks from a variety of different music streaming services such as Amazon, Spotify and Apple. Catching up with the CEO at the launch of the company's latest speaker and first foray into the connected speaker market, I started by asking Gilead how the company had changed since his father started the company in the 1970s. So with my father, it was all about vinyl and he developed a turntable that could extract more information from the groove of a record at a time when people thought sound was all about speakers. So he was able to show that you could get better sound from your system with a better turntable. Then comes the 80s and CD, and I think the company had a bit of an existential crisis at that time because CD wasn't as good as vinyl, and so real audiophiles were disappointed by CD. Ultimately, Lynn did have to make CD players because that's the way the market had gone, but my dad said, don't chuck out your vinyl records because CD's going to die and vinyl's going to come back. People thought it was crazy, and mm. of course that's exactly what's happened. Where I come in is and when I was going to join the company, the first time my dad ever raised the idea that I would join the company, because he told us as kids, me and my brother and sister, that none of us ever would, um, he, the company was working on a new range of CD players, and this would have been 2002 kind of time. And I said, um, what are you making new CD players for? Like, CD's dead. At the time, I was working in the mobile phone industry, and we were already streaming music and video over what was to become 3G networks. So in my head, it was going to go pure digital and streaming with music. And my dad said to me, oh, no, it's, the transition is going to take much longer. So I did join Lynn in 2003 and immediately carved out some engineers to start working on a streaming platform. And thank goodness I did because it did move pretty quickly to streaming. So that's really the, the sort of eras of, of Lynn in a nutshell. And so we fast forward to today. Lynn is launching a, a wireless speaker, the Series 3, which we're here at the launch for. What do you think makes you stand out against what's now become quite a, a sea of, of wireless speakers? Yeah, I mean, I think that wireless speakers up to this point has largely been focused on um, convenience. So it's been about just making sure that you can pull your phone out of your pocket and make it play on something. And it is extremely convenient to have a wireless speaker. What we want to do is establish a performance benchmark in wireless speakers and take it seriously as a category in the same way as we did with, with uh, turntables, with CD players, with music streamers. We want to do the same with wireless speakers and show that you really can reproduce music at extremely high fidelity from, from a wireless speaker. And that's one of the questions I also had, is that sense of how does Lynn as a business stay kind of relevant in what appears to be this kind of 
not even democratization of sound. It's that sort of you look at the Amazons of the world, the sort of rush to the bottom of just to get you sound yeah. rather than get you necessarily good sound. So how does how does a small business from Scotland kind of stay relevant against these sort of the magnitude of the Apples and the Googles and, and the Amazons of this world? It does feel like we're sort of swimming upstream sometimes, but something really positive that's just happened is Amazon's announcement of their HD music streaming service because that gives us a bit of a following wind. If you look at the TV industry, they've been educating the public on HD for how long? Long, long time. Long, long time, yeah. And we all understand that there's more pixels means higher quality and we'll pay for it. The music industry is, has just not got on that same quality escalator, has not been able to communicate as simply and as concisely to consumers in a way that they'd understand what quality of music is because really all they've been doing is seeing how many tracks you could initially cram onto an iPod and you know it was about having 10,000 songs in your pocket, 10,000 albums in your pocket and then hard drives have got so big now to the extent that we don't even need them because we can stream everything off the internet. So the music industry does need to get its act together and start really explaining to consumers where we go next with music and I think, it, or I hope, it's finally happening and this Amazon Music HD is a first step I'd hope to see Spotify follow suit pretty quickly and start to get into the younger consumer's consciousness that there is a quality differential. And at that point, it becomes much easier for a small company from Scotland to engage with that audience and try and sell them something better. Now, one of the things as well is you, you obviously your heritage is in, is in vinyl and this is kind of a, a very big step away from vinyl. Do you think there's a way that you can emulate that vinyl experience but for you know the analog experience but for a digital sort of audience i mean that's an interesting challenge it is one we're already thinking about is if we can get high quality speakers to people high quality wireless speakers can we then take them on a journey and actually probably we would want to sell them a record player that connects easily potentially wirelessly to that speaker so there is a direction of travel there because young people are still engaged by vinyl. And do you think there's, so, you know, you move to music services, you've obviously got Amazon HD supported on, on the device, I presume Spotify is and, and, and Apple Music and, and the sort of kind of wide platform uh, of stuff. A lot of speakers that we're seeing at Pocketland are feature personal assistants. You know, it's the idea of saying, hey, Alexa, or hey, Siri, or hey, Google Assistant, do this for me. Do you see that as a place or in, in the speaker market or do you feel that's a, a confusion in that, in that way? We like to keep these things separate so we don't put tech that we don't develop inside our products for the simple reason that the wider consumer tech market moves so fast. And uh, I think that when we launched our first music streamer, people said, why isn't there a hard drive in this product? And we said, well, because you use an external hard drive that's going to double in size and half in price every couple of years. You don't want us to put that in. And I would include voice assistants in the same category. Who knows which one is going to win? Who knows where, whether customers prefer Apple or Google or Microsoft or Amazon for their voice assistant? So we prefer just to say, just use the voice assistant that you've already got and connect it through our speaker for the best sound from it. Now, one of the other things we're seeing is obviously over the time that you've been 
uh, in the industry, we've gone, as you say, we've gone from vinyl, we've gone through CD, we've gone through mini disc. Those people that remember those. We're yeah, that, on... that's my my, <laughs> my unfortunate thirtieth birthday present from my best friend, a mini disc player at just exactly the wrong time. It was it was great at the time, but it just it just never never seemed to catch on. I think I had one mini disc. It was Gomez. Was this sort of you know the state of the art sort of mini disc, and then that that was it. Oh, he um... still apologizes to me for that present. <laughs> How do you? Where do you see? The next, we've gone to streaming, everybody's got multitude of, of music in their homes, more so than ever before. Where's, if you were perceiving that 17 years ago, 16 years ago when you saw digital was there, what do you see, not necessarily the next 16 years, but where do you see music shifting over the next five to ten? So I think if you look at how we curated our collections in the past, we prized the music that we owned and something that's been lost as you move to streaming when you have access to everything is how do you actually curate something that you could conceivably think of as your music collection and I think that's really where we'll see things change over time we need the ability to have a lot more influencers creating and curating playlists not in the way that it's done right now which is very commercial where the gatekeepers of the streaming services kind of get to decide you know which music they're putting in front of you we need to move to a system maybe more like Twitter where you're, you're really following people that you trust and you're picking up recommendations on a much more regular basis so you start to feel more connection and ownership over the music that you've chosen. You've harked back to the idea that television has been sort of harking and, and calling the cry of, of, of higher definition and things like that. If you look at the way that television television industry and certainly from a content perspective has gone we're now in this sort of battle of exclusivity you've got sort of Netflix producing their own shows you've got Amazon Prime producing their own shows Apple TV Disney Plus all of these services are you worried that that same approach will come to the music industry and and that might affect the way that we listen to music and therefore the speakers that ultimately we end up choosing because you don't necessarily have, if you buy this speaker, you don't necessarily have access to that music or if you buy that speaker, you don't have, have access to different types of tunes. Yeah, I think the problem exists to an extent that you have to choose which music subscription service you go with and maybe there's differences between them. I think ultimately in the long run, the, an open solution will win through and that, that goes with music, that goes with all these different TV platforms. That goes uh, also when it comes to the voice assistants. Like ultimately, people want simplicity. They don't want to be forced down a blind alley and forced to have to, to pick and choose. You want everything just to work together. Um, I'm an optimist. I, I think that you know, you're if you're talking like 10, 15 years' time, I'd hope that we're in a better situation for consumers where things do just work together more easily. Now, the final question I have is I've followed Len for a number of years and seen them in a number of different situations, whether it's on a Sunseeker yacht, whether it's here in Harris, whatever, whereas you obviously must have seen Lynn speakers in a number of scenarios. Where's, where's perhaps the most interesting place that you're like, wow, I, I wasn't expecting to see a speaker there? You said you weren't going to ask me any difficult questions. <laughs> I have seen Lynn speakers in commercial installations that I wouldn't expect to see like I've been in a, a bar in Oslo and they've got Lynn speakers in there and you think how did they get in there or in Tokyo sitting in a restaurant and seeing that they've got Lynn they've got a Lynn sound system and a, a DJ's got two Lynn Sondek LP12 set up and is DJing from you know really expensive kit you know like proper hi-fi 
uh, proper hi-fi turntables. You go, be careful with that. You know, you're not going to do any <laughs> scratching on that. Um, but yeah, no, we see our, our stuff all over the world. Um, I can't say that I've got some really funny example to give you of, of uh, if I'd if I been given more time to think about it, maybe I could <laughs> come up with something. The 5G revolution is upon us, apparently, and if you want a slice of that super-fast, low-latency connectivity speed, then, well, you're probably going to have to pay through the nose to get it. Not so much if you buy the Samsung Galaxy A90, which costs around a third less than the company's top-end flagship devices, but also doesn't scrimp on the tech specs to provide a reliable sub-flagship model. Mike Lowe, Pocket Reviews editor, has been using the phone for the last couple of weeks and is here to tell us what it's like and whether it's any good. Well, the, the the prospect of this whole phone is, I guess there's a bit of history. In, in a way, Samsung was always the brand that had real success in, in kind of the mid-market. And it didn't really have much competition. It just made great phones that were A-series phones. Um, things kind of changed a lot in the recent years with lots of Chinese brands, say Xiaomi and so on, really pushing that and mm. kind of making these Samsung phones get a bit overpriced within the segment so the a90 is one of a kind of series that's reimagining what they can do within within that whole segment and it's kind of that model that's going hey i can be not crazy priced i can bring you 5g um be a little nod to the future and kind of be that familiar handset that you, you're probably looking for you know because it's a decent android handset this is doesn't try to become like just another variant of the galaxy s range or anything, it's kind of, it's very much in its own place. Yeah, it, I mean, let's let's not forget that Samsung do make a lot of phones. You know, there's there's a whole variety of A-series that have different camera numbers and rotational cameras and stuff like that. The The point of this is really 5G. It's like the revolution is coming. You want that, that next step in speed and connectivity, um, then this is a way to get your, your foot in the door without kind of totally breaking the bank. Um, but in, in the same breath, 5G is here, but it's not entirely here. So if you're going to pay a little bit of extra to have a phone that has 5G, you certainly want to know that you can actually achieve it, actually get those speeds, get that low latency connection. Um, there's a whole bunch of towns in, in the UK um, that, that do support it, but it's not at its best yet. It's kind of one of those techs that's going to keep on improving and improving over time. Just keep on growing, I suppose, yeah. into it with, you know, it's that sense of, I know that you've, when you've been testing 5G and, and Chris on the team has as well, it's that sort of one minute, it's you get blisteringly fast download speeds and then you walk around the corner and you're not. Yeah, it's, it's because of the way it works. It's just you have to have, you know, the, the, the wavelengths can't travel that far. So you have to have kind of a booster really close together, which uh, can only be done in certain ways, really. The, you have to have the physical infrastructure uh, in place and that's kind of hard to do in a, in a wide area. So, that's why you're seeing like the best speeds happening in London around, say, certain train stations and stuff like that. Um, and if you are in an office, let's say that that has you know one of those towers around it, brilliant. This is a way to to grab kind of super speed, um, which is you know really nice to have. Um, and it's not even just the speed; you get just things just happen quicker. Like it seems kind of silly, but you load a YouTube video and you go, oh, "I want to be 15 minutes in," tap, and it's done, which actually doesn't happen on most other phones. So it's um, it's a nice fluid experience it's good it's a you know it's decent if you don't want to be spending over a grand to get you know the mega flagship 
And how does that differ? I mean, for that, I mean, this is what, like five, six hundred pounds, isn't it? I think. And obviously, you know, the S S ten range is is as you say, it's it's more like a thousand pounds. So what do you what do you kind of lose? What what sacrifices are you having to make for the cash? Or is it really a point of reality you're not making that many sacrifices? If you compare the spec, they're not actually dramatically different. I think you get like when you when I first picked it up, I was like this doesn't feel totally, totally premium. Um, I mean, it does have a glass back, but to me, it kind of doesn't feel like it does. But, you know, in terms of size and right. screen resolution, it, it's kind of got everything that the S-Series has, more or less. You're taking a, a slight step backwards in things like cameras and and so on, but not there's not really a dramatic difference. And that's kind of, I think that, that shows where where the market is. You, you, can, you can set a flagship on, a single feature you can probably overset a flagship on a little bit of marketing you know um so really it's it's a really decent handset it, it encapsulates everything you're really going to need without it costing quite as much and it's it really successfully does and, and compared to the the chinese manufactured phones that this is going up to me the xiaomi's the you know probably some of the huawei stuff the honor is the one plus is i presume it, you know even moto how, how does it compare um, against those there's quite a lot of talk about software with, with all of this kind of stuff so all the chinese brands um because their main market is in china where you don't really have google um they will use google android in in the uk in the us and so on but they tend to kind of dress it up with their own skin and sometimes that comes with like an extra app store or kind of all these little fussier things or different ways of doing things that just feels a little bit alien like if you're used to doing something in a certain way on your phone and then suddenly it's like oh it's a different direction of swipe um that can just get a bit confusing with the samsung you don't really have that it's they slightly redress it in what they call one ui but it's not massively different there's a bit of um bixby integration there's uh you know you can swipe left and get a a news feed and, and little things like that but nothing major so it just feels really comfortable and kind of familiar to use for, for the markets it's intended for and for someone that's think that's been listening to us thinking mm, that sounds quite interesting do you think it's a camera you could rec- um a camera a, f- a phone you could recommend uh, well, the camera's not bad either but um yeah totally <laughs> it's one of those things where it largely comes down to price you know because given the choice i would probably take the s because it just has that slightly fancier kind of finish um but this just it doesn't lose too much you know and that's if price is kind of king, then that's uh, is you're not losing a great deal and getting a pretty decent purchase. That said, you may want to consider something that doesn't even have five G, depending on where you are in the world, and that's kind of that's the tricky uh, part of this. That's it for this week. If you've enjoyed the show, can you please give us a five star rating on the podcast platform you're listening on? It really will help raise our profile and let others know you liked it too. Until next Friday, pip pip. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.